All right. Well, there you go, man. Coming up. All right. Golf. Discipleship through golf. Um, I will be there, and it's a good way for me to help you feel better about yourselves when you watch me golf. So uh, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, a couple, uh, this morning, I just want to take a moment before we begin our message. Uh, we sent our students off to camp, so we loaded the bus up with, uh, I don't know, there's about 48 uh, students and leaders who uh, got on the bus heading up to camp. And uh, so we want to just take a moment here to pray. They're going to be up to, at Hume Lake for the week. There they are. There you go. Fresh off the presses on that. Uh, and so what a great uh, time. So we're, we're specifically want to pray that uh, the Lord would just use this week to speak to each of those students and to, that they may encounter him in, in new and fresh ways. And uh, we'll pray for the leaders that they have abundance of uh, energy and patience this week as well. And for the parents who are at home without their kids, woohoo! All right, so... <laughs> God, so join me as we pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be able to send students up to camp. Uh, I thank you for the generosity of uh, the many people at Seacoast who are not even sending students up to, uh, their own kids up to camp, but who financially help support uh, some of the families to be able to go. Um, God, we're so grateful that we can even do that as a church. And we pray now, Lord, that uh, they would have safe journeys on their way up, and I pray that they would have an encounter with you this week that would be more than just some mountaintop experience, though it will be. Uh, we do pray that that would be a, a benchmark in their lives that would last forever, and they would look back and be reminded of how you spoke to them in unique and fun ways. And so, God, would you just work this week, and I pray for our leaders that you would just give them abundance of, of sleep and rest and patience and, a God, that they would have the right things to say at the right moment and be open to your spirit. We thank you, God, for that opportunity. We pray for them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 6. We're going to get there in a little while. We'll get there in just a moment. But I, I was thinking this morning as I was thinking about the message for today, and I was remembering back to my childhood, and we had this thing in my childhood, and, and you know, anyone who's a child of the 80s, maybe you can relate to this story that's coming up. And uh, so we had, it was before the internet, so in most of the magazines, there would be a section in it that had a few pieces of paper kind of sticking out. It was an advertisement. And when you'd find it, it, it had this big thing advertised, and it, it said, 12 cassette tapes for a penny. Anyone with me on that? Yeah. So the 12 cassette tapes for a penny, which was great. It was like Columbia House or something like that who had that. And, and every once in a while, my parents would agree. They'd say, okay, we'll do this. And, and we didn't know at the time as a kid. We're like, that's Mom, that's a great deal, 12 for a penny. We didn't know that we had to pay 20 bucks per tape for, the, for like seven more of them to make, but it's fine. I'm sure both ends worked out in the end, right? So, but we would, every once in a while, we'd be able to order these, these 12 tapes. My brother and I got to go through and you pick, and you know, the first one or two was like, I've been waiting to get this one. I can't wait. I can get it. And then, you know, by, by kind of, you get to the end, you're like, well, I remember hearing one, that one song. That was a, that's a great song. That's on the radio. I'll get that tape too. You know, kind of, so you put in the order and you fill it out and it was all on paper, right? And you, you put the envelope. I don't know if you put a penny in. I don't know how, I don't know what they did from that point, but um, you send it away. We gave it to our parents and they put it in the mail and then you had to wait six to eight weeks <laughs> for delivery <laughs> and you'd send it away and you'd wait and you'd wait, but you were, it was okay 
because there's this promise that at the end you would have this whole new treasure trove of new music, of cassette tapes, and then later the CDs. So, you know, I'm not that old, but, uh, and I never had the record or the eight track era, just so you know, but it was the cassette tape era. We'd send it away, and you knew that eventually you'd see this box show up in the mail. And that was the day. That was the day you got to peel it open and you get to see your new, all the great new music. I still remember when my first ones was Men at Work, Business as Usual. Come on, yeah. Who can it be now? Anyway, all that on there. Come from the land down under. You, I could still rock out to that today. I should go see if my tape is still at my parents' house. So I guess Spotify works too, but... So I, I remember getting it, and it was such a great, well, what a great moment. But could you imagine today if we said, hey, we're going to give you a whole bunch of music, music you love, just pick out what you want, and in six to eight weeks, you can listen to it. All you want in six to eight weeks. Could you imagine if we told each other that today? The art of waiting is something I think is no longer an art we have, we possess very well. And let's be honest, I like things to happen quickly. I like getting what I want when I want it. I like pay at the pump. I like self-checkout at the checker, at the grocery store. I like microwave popcorn. I like all the things that when I want something right away, that I can get it. I, do, I don't like to wait. And we're in an era now where we are used to getting what we want when we want it, instantly. Even movies. You don't have to walk around Blockbuster and stand there for 25 minutes just staring at these movies wondering what you want to watch that night. You just use your control and you look through one of your five or six streaming services to find the right one for that night. And I like it that way. I want things fast. Today we're going to jump in uh, to our summer series called The Good Life, and it's a study of the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking at the characteristics that God is shaping and changing in us. And today we're getting to one of the characteristics of the fruit of, of the Spirit that it's probably the one that of all of them, you say like, I don't, I mean, that's nice to have, but I don't really want to have that one. And the one we're going to look at today is called patience. It's the characteristics of patience. And what does that even mean? So we're going to look at it. And again, I want to, be, I want to remind you as we look at this, the fruit of the Spirit is one thing. It's the fruit, it's the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. It's not a pick and choose of those nine characteristics from Galatians 5 that we've been looking at. You say, oh, I'm, I'm going to focus on these four or five. No, it is, this is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working and shaping us into who we already are made to be. God has already placed in us the ability to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and all of those things. But the work of the Holy Spirit in us is shaping our lives so that those become more and more evident. And so today we're going to look at the beloved one called patience. And what does it mean to wait for things? According to Webster's Dictionary, the definition of patience is this. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. That's the official definition of, of patience. I even think that it actually matches up with the biblical one. Being able to accept what comes your way. 
without getting upset. A few weeks ago, we were uh, up visiting our son at, in L.A., who lives up in L.A., and every, and he said, Dad, I don't even like driving. He lives in Westwood at UCLA, and, and he said, I don't even need my car because I hate driving everywhere here. Everything takes forever. And I was like, it doesn't take that long. I used to, I've driven around L.A. It's not that bad. So we spent two days with him, and by the end of it, we're like, everything takes forever. Are you kidding me? Like we went five miles down the road and it takes like a half hour and there's a million people going five miles with you for some reason everywhere we went. And by the end of it, I was like, we just need to get back to Encinitas to my bubble, my little three mile bubble and live there. I can't take this anymore. So my patience, my willingness to take delay was a little bit uh, running out by the end. But when we look at this, why is patience described as one of the things that's a characteristic of the Spirit of God, or spirit, God's Spirit in our lives. Why is that even listed there? And it starts with this idea that God is the ultimate picture of patience. We know that God himself is the one who is patient. We, we hear this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I have it on the screen for you. It says this, The Lord is not slow about keeping his promises, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, get this, not wishing anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. There's times when maybe the view and the picture of God is he's this angry, fly-off-the-handle kind of God who's willing to sacrifice his own son because he's such an angry, irrational person. But really, when we think about it, consider God's amazing patience towards each and every one of us. Have you ever needed God to be patient with you? Have you ever had those moments where even those of you walking with Christ for a long time, you, you think about your life and you say, wow, it's amazing that, God, you still are with me through this same struggle that I've had for 20 years, and you haven't struck me down yet with lightning, because let's be honest, you deserve the lightning. I just want to tell you right now, I do too, but the fact that God is gracious towards us demonstrates his amazing patience. In Exodus chapter 34, in the Hebrew scriptures, they describe the name of God. And in when he said, what is your name? It says, the Lord, the Lord, which is that I am, I am, the Yahweh. I'm compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The name of God is, in Exodus 34, 6, is compassionate, slow to anger, patient, so it's in the very nature and character of God to be patient. He is patient. So the question is, if God is patient, he's put his character in us, and he's producing in us the ability to be patient, the question I want to address today is, how can we become more patient? And I'll hurry up and get this done. At the end of this message, you'll be patient, okay? We'll just... <laughs> what is that process? And uh, to get there, I want to show you a clip from a movie. It is not a systematic theology movie, but there's some good thoughts in this little clip because I believe it sets up the idea of what it means to be shaped and changed into something new. So let's go ahead and play that clip. Oh, excuse me. Can I get a refill, please? Coming right up. Excuse me. Are you, are you all right? Yeah. No. It's a long story. Well, I like stories. I'm considered a bit of a storyteller myself. My husband? Have you heard of New York's Noah? 
<laughs> the guy who's building the ark. That's him. I love that story. You know, the animals showed up in pairs. They stood by each other, side by side, just like Noah and his family. Everybody entered the ark side by side. But my husband says God told him to do it. What do you do with that? Sounds like an opportunity. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? Heaven Almighty, that scene, in case you haven't seen it, that Morgan Freeman is God in that one, so there you go. The voice is perfect. <laughs> if someone prays for patience, will God just zap you and all of a sudden you're patient? Or does he give you circumstances where you can then become patient? That's what we want to look at today is this process of growing and learning to wait. And what are the things we learn about God in that? And then where are the circumstances in our lives where he will shape us and make us more patient? So with that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 30. Now, this is a story that if I were to tell you, I'm going to, we're going to go through a story in Scripture to talk about patience. You, you may not immediately go to this one. This one wouldn't be the top of your mind. But I believe that we will see here how God is shaping the disciples in a way that they're learning the value of what it means to pause and to wait. And so let's look at this story here. And this is in uh, Mark chapter 30 and uh, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And to set the, the scene, the disciples had just been sent out by Jesus and they were sent out and they were told to go and basically be the hands and feet of Christ. So they were going out and they were casting out demons. They were telling people about Jesus. People were coming to the Lord. They were baptizing them. They were seeing people healed. They're having this amazing moment where they were sent out by God and, and, and they're seeing the power of God work through them in these powerful, mighty ways. And they came back, and could you imagine what that would be like, coming back to talk to Jesus about everything you saw? Like, could you believe it? We did this. I prayed for this person and they were healed and and we talked to this person, and all this stuff happened, and there was this excitement and energy. It was like coming back from Hume Lake. This is everything that happened, and this one kid, you know, he belly flopped off the whatever, and all this. It was amazing, and then he became a Christian. It was awesome. So that was kind of the moment as they come back, and look at in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 30. So the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they'd done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there's many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. So they went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. In other words, this is what your campers and your leaders are going to say when they come back next Saturday. <laughs> All this stuff was amazing. And Jesus hears this, and he says, that is amazing. You know what you need? Let's go get away for a while. Let's go to a secluded place. And all the introverts, disciples were like, thank you. 
We just need to go and recharge. And all the extroverts are like, okay. And the whole way, they're just talking to each other and hanging out. We're going to have a campfire with Jesus. This will be amazing. And so they got to go away. And so they hopped in the boat to another town, just saying, we're not going to walk on the roads. We're not going to run into anyone. Let's get on the boat. And let's go over to another town here to a secluded place. Verse 33. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and they got there ahead of the disciples. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion on them for like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, how many of you, when you hear this, knowing that setting up the context kind of gave you an uncomfortable feeling? You have that feeling of, I'm just, I'm going out to my favorite surf spot. It's Monday at 10 a.m. on a school day. No one's going to be there. It's going to be, I just need to unwind, have some. And you get there, and you didn't, no one told you that it was a day off of school, and your surf spot's packed. You're like, I was just going to get some time to myself. <laughs> and people showed up. Imagine this. They were just, they were excited. We're just going to get alone with Jesus. Even Jesus often got away to a quiet, secluded place. It was a value of his to recharge that way. So they get away, and they see the crowds on the shore. Now, what was the conversation in the boat? What was it like? Who told them we're going to this town? Why did you say that? Why did you tell them we're going to the other side? Do you think some of them were going like, uh, Jesus, look at the boat. No, let's keep going. <laughs> let's go to the other side. Let's go farther away. We already know you can calm the storm based on the story we looked at last week, so maybe you can, you know, create some wind and blow us to the other, whatever it is. I'm sure there was some conversation like, oh my goodness, everywhere we go, here is a delay. Here is an interruption. This is not what we were looking forward to. This is not what we were expecting. And now there's this crowd on the shore. Now Jesus looks at them. And he feels compassion. Now, I do believe that Jesus valued that time away. I do believe, away from people. I do believe Jesus valued seclusion. He often got up early just to have time with the Heavenly Father. And so I also believe he was looking forward to this time with his disciples and he sees a crowd. But was Jesus surprised that there was a crowd there? Of course not. In fact, he might have told them. Who knows? He might say, hey, we're going ahead, just so you know. But he sees the crowd, and look, he has compassion. So he begins teaching them many things. Okay, so we're good with that. Now look at how it continues. Verse 35, and it was already getting late. His disciples came up to him and said, this place is secluded, and it's already late. Send them away so we may go to the surrounding countryside, and, buy, and so they may go away and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, here's their second try. Jesus, okay. We did your little talk to them thing, compassion on the crowds. We get it. That was nice. Okay, it's getting late. Can you send them away? Tell them to go get food. They're going to get hungry. Tell them to go away. Look at Jesus' response. You give them something to eat. <laughs> that, some of us might be so familiar with this story that we just read that and it goes through your mind like, okay. But this is actually kind of funny. It's like, just tell them to leave. Go get something to eat. Tell them, we can, they, they're getting hungry. It's getting late. We just want some time off. And he says, no, oh, they're hungry. Why don't you give them? Go get food for them. Like, really, Jesus? This is not the point. 
And they said, shall we go and spend 200 denarii and, and, and to find bread and give it to them to eat? This is not like an actual question. This is like a sarcastic rhetorical question. This is their way of saying like, what do you want us just to take all the money we can find? You know, we're going to find bread for all these people. Is that what you want? And Jesus then looks at him and says, well, how many loaves of bread do you have? Go look. <laughs> Well, how much food is there here? Go, go find out. So they go and find out. And later in the story, we find out there's 5,000 people there. So how long did it take them to go to, like, all right, we need everyone to just tell us whatever food you have. Pony up. Everyone's, you know, emptying out their pockets. And they come, all of the people, they come back. They say, yeah, we have five loaves and two fish, which is kind of hard to believe with 5,000 people. Isn't there at least, like, one mom there who has the big purse who's like, I'm always prepared for whatever, you know? It's probably just the one who had the five loaves and two fish. You know, so, there's got to be, right? <laughs> we have friends like that. You go camping with them, and you're like, are you serious? You have a microwave? This is amazing. What if... So, so, so all they come up with is five loaves and two fish. And at this point, I still think the disciples are thinking, see, this is all we have. Now, will you send them away? This is all we got. Maybe there was even more, but they, did, that's all, they didn't work really hard to find out what they had. So, okay, we tried. This will feed a couple people. So he orders them in verse 39. He ordered them all to recline by groups on the grass. They reclined in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples again and again to set before them. And Jesus divided the two fish among them all. And they ate, and get this, underline it if you like to take notes. They ate, and they were satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets of broken bread and fish, and there are 5,000 who ate the loaves. They ate, and they were satisfied. What the crowd was looking for in this moment as they came to encounter Jesus was this profound teaching. They wanted to hear from this teacher, and they just saw a bunch of miracles and healings by their disciples, so the crowds were really interested, and I don't think the crowds went there to get a meal. They went there to be impressed with Jesus and his disciples and to be healed and all these great things. And in that moment, they had this real thing which was called hunger. And nobody in the story except for Jesus thought this is the moment. This is the interruption, what it's going to become. This is the whole point of the story. And so then Jesus takes what they have, somehow multiplies it. And I have no idea what that looks like. I, I haven't watched every episode of The Chosen. Some of you probably go like, I know how it looks. I watched The Chosen. I know how it happened. But there is, there's got to be a scene where that happens in it, right? Anyone? Any Chosen fans with me? Wait, I saw Trevor out there. He's seen it. So I don't know how it happened, but they all got fed. Jesus exercised his dominion and authority over nature itself. So we look at this, and at the, the end result is the people were satisfied. They were filled with something, and in this case, they were satisfied with food, but were they satisfied with something more? They just saw this picture of the sovereignty and the power of God on display. No one was expecting that. The disciples weren't expecting that. The disciples were looking for alone time. 
They were looking to be with Jesus and just decompress. And yet God said, no, what you need is an interruption. And the interruption became this moment where their faith would be expanded and grow as they'd see God in a whole new light. How many of us, when interruption comes in our lives, it is, we think, God, why are you against me? Why is this happening that there's an interruption? Why is there delay? Are you not paying attention? Could it be that the interruption, the delay in your life is because Jesus is bringing you to that point? Could it be? (laughs) Just this week, I was talking, yesterday, I was talking to my oldest son who went to study abroad. He was living in Spain when, in spring of 2020. Now, if you know anything about Spain in spring of 2020, uh, it wasn't the best place to be because that was one of the first countries that shut down because of coronavirus. So he got sent home from his study abroad program, which we're glad we brought him home. There was a moment where we just, where we're like, he goes, they told us I could stay here and wait it out. Which we're like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe you should. And I was thinking, yeah, you should just stay. It's probably three weeks, right? Good thing he decided to come home. <laughs> so he came home. This summer, he, decide, he got, uh, he's going to another study abroad program. And this time, it's in Ecuador. If you've read the news at all, um, basically, we'll find out tomorrow. But he's supposed to leave Wednesday. But most likely, he will not be going to Ecuador. They're having a little uh, revolution right now. So not conducive to hanging out as college students in a class. And he's looking at me like, what are the odds, Dad? The two times I go to study abroad, one, I get a global pandemic, and the other one, I get a revolution. And I was like, you should buy a lottery ticket. You are actually really lucky. This is amazing, the odds that are for you. He didn't think it was as funny as I did, but... And we were just talking about, you know, sometimes there's interruption. And it was one of those moments where I went into like, but what can you learn from this? He's like, I don't want to learn anything right now. I'm just mad. And I'm like, okay, you can be mad. But, I'm like, no. <laughs> but how many times do we have interruption and in what we, we just want to be mad. We want to be interrupted. We want to just say, God, it, it doesn't matter what you want to do with this. It's frustrating. And the frustration's Okay but are we missing out on what God wants to do? I think those times when we have delay, when we are forced to wait. Now, what were, now, were the disciples delayed? What were they delayed from? God promised them. Jesus himself said, let's go and get to a secluded place and rest. And then the interruption came. Hmm. So Why? There's a couple things I think we learn about delay, about waiting in our life. And the first one is this. Waiting, I believe, builds our confidence in God's sovereignty. When we have interruptions and times in our lives where you have to wait, it actually will grow and build our confidence in the belief that God is ultimately sovereign, that he is in control. When things don't go your way, it's an opportunity to say, am I going to trust you, the creator of the universe, in this moment? Do I believe that you are still on your throne even now? It's an opportunity to grow in your trust. See, the disciples were looking forward to the promise of rest. It might have been a small thing. Introverts would say, no, that's not a small thing. That was a big thing. 
But it was a promise of rest, and it was interrupted. But in that moment, Jesus was teaching them more. Do you believe that I am over all things? Do you believe that I am in control even of this moment? And I'm going to teach you that I'm even in control of nature itself. I can feed who I need to feed. See, waiting sometimes helps us grow in our confidence in God's sovereignty. I like the fact that in most languages, the word for waiting and the word for hope is the same word. Almost every language. Waiting and hope. We're told in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. See, those who are able to wait and hope in the Lord, your strength is renewed. Why? Is it, is it because all of a sudden you supernaturally have more energy? Maybe, but really what it is is because you now have greater confidence. You learn to rest and trust that God is on his throne and he is sovereign. He's in control. The disciples were learning that in this moment. The other thing we learn about, we see about waiting is this. Waiting teaches us to let go of control. If we, one, learn that God is sovereign, the other thing we learn is that we need to let go of control, and learning to wait does that for us. The more we can trust that there is a promise at the end, that God doesn't change who he said he is. He doesn't change what he said he's going to do, and eventually we get to the point where we say, okay, I probably one of these days need to let go of trying to be in control of everything. And it's a lot harder because back in the 80s, we would send away paper to some unknown place for six to eight weeks to get the music you wanted. And it was out of your control. You didn't even know if they received it. They, never, they didn't email you, say, we got your order. We're packing it up. It's coming your way. You just sent it with a promise that you would get this amazing box of tapes. They're awesome. But you didn't have control. So many of us send our prayers off to God, and our prayers kind of look more like, okay, Lord, this is what I need and how it's going to look. Here's the timing. In case you, you can give it a week or so in between, but like that, somewhere in the next month, Lord, that's, that's the expectation. Waiting teaches us to let go of control. We see in Psalm chapter 130, verse 5, says that I wait for the Lord and in, I hope in his word. I put my hope in his word, in his promises. Psalm 130, verse 5. Let go of control and trust in the pro- that God's promises are true, that he will follow through. It's not always easy, though, is it? My wife and I have three kids, three boys, healthy boys. We're very blessed by them. All three of them were premature. Uh, we had one miscarriage in between. And so, but all three of our kids were born prematurely. Two of them spent uh, time in the NICU. You learn a lot about, oh, I don't think we're in control of this. I remember when our youngest, uh, we were pregnant with our youngest, and the doctor actually said, hey, we have this new test that we can take it, and it's, it's like 99% accurate. That'll tell you if you're going to deliver early or not, and it says you're not going to be early. So it's 99% accurate. You're not going to have a preemie child this time. And we're like, yeah, right. You are wrong. 
And, and says, no, she needs to be on bed rest. And the doctor said, no, she doesn't. It's, we have this test. We're like, no, you're going on bed rest. <laughs> we took control. We did everything we needed to do to hold the baby in. Because, you know, we knew, we knew with our second one, uh, she was on bed rest the whole time until only three weeks preemie. She said, I'm tired of laying on my side for, you know, five months. And so she got up and the baby fell out. So it was, it was something like that. <laughs> literally a couple hours later. So we knew this time, like, no, that baby's going to fall out. We got to stay, you know, that's not going to work. And so we waited and waited, did all the right things, everything right. And then the earliest of all of our kids was our youngest. He came earlier. Emergency C-section, everything came out, ICU longer than any of the others. And in those moments, you just learn, like, you can't, we just can't control things. And you can ask all the questions, like, God, are you, what, are you, did you not notice this? You know, I'm working, I'm a youth pastor, making big bucks, you know, have plenty of flexibility and all that, you know. But no, God, so this is what we're going to do. Now, fortunately, the end of our story is very positive. There are three healthy boys. We couldn't be more happy with them. They, you know, all the blessing and modern medicine, everything, it's amazing what they can do. Some people who are in ICU, NICU with us didn't have the same outcome. So we do know our story ended well, and we're grateful for it. But in the moment, what you learn is that we have to, at some point, let go. Now, for me, that was easier than having kids who are grown in, in high schoolers and teenagers. I can let go and say, Lord, you're in control. I can't do anything about this. There's doctors. But now, when you have teenagers, I don't want to let go as much. I want to control their decisions and what they decide and all of the things and say, okay, if this program shuts down, I'll teach you what you need to learn. Like, I will, don't worry, I've got this. But unfortunately, our kids think for themselves and they have their own journey and, and their own story and God's working on their lives. And that is a lot harder. But you know what? The same God who taught us to let go and trust him when our kids were born is the same God who's on his throne today. And he doesn't change at all. So in the waiting, can we learn that we don't have to control things? It's the hardest thing. Two areas, and we'll end with this, that I think God most often tests and grows our patience. This one is circumstances, and the other one is relationships. We see it through all throughout Scripture that circumstances and relationships are the ways that God helps us grow and tests us. Do you really believe that I am sovereign? Do you believe that I'm in control of all things? Are you willing to let go and let me be God? Circumstances and relationships. We're told in, about circumstances. circumstances. Uh, t James writes in chapter 5, verse 7 of the book of James. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming. And this was on the backdrop of, hey, you're going to face trials and tribulations. Life isn't going to go your way all the time. Things are going to get tough, but be patient and trust in the promises of God. Those cassette tapes are coming, but you're going to have to wait. Be patient in the circumstances. How many of you this morning are here and the circumstances of your life are so frustrating? It's hard to remember God's promises. And today you need to remember, wait, he promised he's going to make all things new. 
That doesn't mean that on this side of eternity that all things are going to be easy. They're going to be set up your way. Everything's going to go the way you want it to. But do you trust that God is who he says he was, that he will make all things new, that there is a day when all pain and death and disease is destroyed once and for all, where the consequence of sin is gone? Do you believe that promise? He's asking us today to step into that. The other thing that will test us is our relationships. Relationships probably are the one that God uses to shape most of these. I look at the story of the fish and the loaves, and I see relationships. I see the disciples looking at Jesus like, what about us? I see the disciples looking at this crowd and saying, just send them away. They're kind of bugging me. They're testing. Are you willing to wait for the promise that Jesus has for you? Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Repro- reprove, rebuke, exhort. All those great things, right? But look, teach people with great patience. When you're working with people, he says, okay, the one advice I have for you, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. He writes it before he dies. Timothy, if you remember anything, remember these things. One of the last things he says is, is instruct and teach people but have great patience with them. Great patience. Who in your life do you need patience with? Patience that God is shaping them, changing them. Patience that it's his timing, not yours. Who do you need patience with? Look at the person next to you and tell them it's them. No, don't. Great patience is what we're told. As uh, the worship team starts to make their way back up, I want to end with a story. There is a story of a taxi driver in New York City, and he was called to go pick up someone at a house. So he went to the house, and it was his last uh, ride of the day, and he got called to the house, so he went there. And I guess it's the style of New York. Any of those from New York may know, but you pull up to the house, you honk your horn, I guess, as the taxi driver. Like, I'm here, hurry up, we got things to do. So he goes up, honks a horn, and they don't come out. And For some reason, he said, normally I would have driven away, but I didn't drive away this time. I went to the door, and I rang the doorbell and knocked on the door, and I heard someone inside shuffling around, and finally, an elderly lady, about 90 years old, came to the door. She had a suitcase beside her and was struggling to get it, and I said, do you mind? And he goes, no, I'd be happy. He takes the suitcase, brings it out to the taxi, walks her out there and gets her inside, and She says where she's going, and she's going to a retirement community. She says, I'm moving out of my house for the first time in my life, moving to a new place, and I'm never going to be in this home again. So she says, would you mind swinging by? And she mentioned a place. He goes, no, no problem. So he went by one of the places in the neighborhood that she wanted to see one last time. So he goes by it, and she looks and starts telling a story of her kids going to school there. And she says, oh, there's another place around the road. Would you mind? And as he goes to the next one, he said he reached over and turned off his meter. Spent the next several hours touring the city with her as she walked through all of her memories and the things that she had experienced and, and all these things that she was saying goodbye to for the final time. He finally got her to her home, her new retirement home, and walked her in, took her bag in. And as he said goodbye to her, he said, no charge. This is for you. She just looked and said, you don't know what you did for me today. 
She was not looking forward to this new phase and saying, there's so much I'm leaving behind, and I thought I'd never see it again. But you taking the time to just be with me, you never know how valuable this is. And when I read this story, I thought, oh, and then he probably got in a taxi, and there was like a million dollars in a suitcase or something cool, like a big reward, like, look, be nice. It was nothing. He just said, I'm so glad I did that that day. I accepted the interruption and the delay. I just was present. I don't know what the delay is going to do in your life. But I think the more we're willing to accept it and say, God, we, we still believe that you are sovereign in this moment. And we, we still believe that you are in control and I'm not, so I just, I'm gonna let it go to you. And my guess is the more we get in the habit of doing that, the more we grow in our confidence and we say, oh, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Remember that last time you showed up? It wasn't the outcome I was expecting, but do it again. Because looking back, I keep seeing like, oh, if I would have known, if I would have known, I could have never created this outcome. But do it again. The more we can trust God, well, this idea of patience, of waiting, will just start to spring up. It becomes less of us and more of him. So we're going to end our time here, and we're going to just remind ourselves of God's faithfulness one more time. And so would you just stand with me? And for some of you, I know you're here this morning, and you think, oh, man, how did you know? <laughs> Who told you to give me this message today? Who told you I've been impatient? Who told you I'm having trouble trusting God? Who told you that I'm trying to take control over and over again? If that's how you feel today, my guess is you're not alone. That we all struggle with this. But God has for us, in us, this great confidence in who he is. That's what he wants to produce. So let's sing of his, of his faithfulness. Let's sing of his goodness. Let's turn our hearts to him. And let me pray for you as we do that. God, we thank you for this time. And Lord, for anyone in here today who's feeling maybe guilty because they're trying to take control too much, would you release that guilt? Lord, the good news of what you did on the cross through your life, death, and resurrection means to take that shame away, that guilt away. For anyone who's here today and says, Lord, I'm so sorry, I'm not measuring up, would you take that away? And would you just let us rest in the confidence of who you are today? And God, shape in us, well up within us, this confidence in you, who you are, and God, help us be more patient to see the interruption, to see the delay as your timing. God, we give you control, we give you, we proclaim that you are God, we are not in this place. As we end our time here today, just allow me to pray a prayer of blessing over you today. Would you receive this from the Lord? The blessing this morning I want you to hear is part of it you'd be familiar with. But you are sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. Nothing can take that away. This morning now may you go don't have to be in control. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't even have to have the greatest faith. 
just have to have faith in the greatest one. So will you go now in the confidence of Christ, in the power of the Spirit in you, walk in the newness of life that he gives you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. So glad to have you with us. Uh, we want to remind you that on the way out, if you uh, want to support the ministries of Seekos, there's some offering uh, bins on the way out. And, and also what I'd love for you to do is turn to the person you said hi to earlier and uh, go grab a cup of coffee together. And thanks for coming. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week, everyone.